started it. Let's get it started. And Such an aggressive lady. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen. Your Movies Review and Discussion Podcast. Yes, I had to stop myself from saying the intro to Juicing the Numbers. Please check out our sports discussion podcast available where all podcasts are typically found under rocks and hiding in trees behind the bushes. You know the deal. Um, That's where I hang out. Yeah, yeah. You'll, uh, you'll never see us, but believe us, folks. If you listen to this show, we see you. Um, thanks, NASA, uh, NSA. Um all right, so we are here today to talk about the 1960 film, um, The Apartment, and the 1972 film, Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Corwin and Josh picking a modern movie challenge, not fulfilled this week, no sir. Um, anyway, Corwin, where do you want to start? just got done watching like 30 modern films from this past year in a row, so please um, do us a favor and fuck off. Yeah, I also actually went to the theater for the first time in a while, which um, felt surprisingly normal, and I'm not used to being around people, and every time anyone did anything, whether it was normal and warranted or not, I was annoyed. Um, uh, so I need to adjust. The first thing you said when you were like, oh, I'm not used to being around people was, man, I'd get so annoyed just being around others. And then you finished with that, and it was like, we are we are friends. For Very sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, it's, it's like... It's like someone was like taking too heavy of a step down the stairs in the middle of the movie to like, I don't know, go to the concession stand or whatever people do. And I was like, shut the fuck up. You just like, want to rip their head off. Yeah, because I'm used to like <laughs> dead silence. It's me and my girlfriend. And it's like, that's it. Like, there's not, you know, it wasn't a full theater. It was maybe 10 other people there. But like, fuck those people, I guess. I need to I need to adjust. <laughs> I need to not be so, so judgmental <laughs> towards my fellow man. So quickly. I- so I went to the driving range today, uh, shooting some some golf balls down the range uh, with Ethan. And while we were using our drivers, just like punching balls down the down the range, um, this like 18 year old kid just comes and like sits on the bench behind us, like in between us and just starts like watching us. And we both kind of notice and we're just like looking back at him, just like, what the fuck is this like? there's nobody else around us like this thing's empty and he just comes and sits and is just like watching us he's like hey sorry you know just trying to watch and and you know you guys are hitting it pretty consistent just trying to learn a thing or two and it was like this crazy motherfucker like what this psychopath how what is he doing how, why is he so close to us turns out he was like the nicest kid ever like <laughs> went to the same high school as us like played soccer was like just trying to learn a thing or two and he's like complimenting her talking to and working on all of our swings together and it's like wow this kid is so friendly and nice this is like a great interaction between other people that like i haven't had in over a year and it's like oh i was ready to kick this kid's teeth in because he approached me like how dare i it's going to be a rough adjustment back into you know society yeah i mean we're not used to being around like tertiary characters in the story of our lives anymore usually it's like if you're seeing a friend or two you're at like their place or whatever so you're not getting like random passerbys who you know deserve to also exist in society that you just don't usually (laughs) spend any time noticing or talking to and uh yeah we're gonna have to get used to that again um which is fine i'm not sad i'm just annoyed but no um, i'll i'll be upset that other people third parties have to interact with me again or will be interacting with me again and they're sad about it too (laughs) that one that one one hurt a little (laughs) okay (sighs) 
All right, Corwin, do you want to start in the, um, I guess, Colorado area? I want um, to start with the guy that didn't have an apartment. Okay, okay. The guy who probably led the harder life here, Jeremiah yeah. Johnson. <sighs> um, it is uh, came out in 1972. It was directed by Sidney Pollock. Uh, it is based on the novel by Vardis Fisher. Um, it is all uh, I get. I have a story credit for Crow Killer for Raymond W. Thorpe and Robert Bunker. Um, I don't know what Crow Killer is. And then we have um, the screenplay credits, which are go to John Milius and Edward Anhalt. And then there is an uncredited writing credit to David Raphael. I don't know how any of that comes into play outside of the novel and screenplay stuff, but fucking whatever. Um, this film stars Robert Redford, Will Gear, sorry, and Del Bolton. Um, this film had an estimated budget of three point one million dollars and a cumulative worldwide gross or a box office, I should say, of forty four point seven million dollars. So definitely a successful film financially. Um, its tagline: Do we have one? Yes, a man of peace driven wild descriptive um feels very very early 70s yeah like if we had to rank this amongst the ones that we have on here usually i'd say it's probably top third but that's because the bar is very low not that this is exceptional yeah whoever writes the copy for uh taglines clearly had a lot of job security there (laughs) since um they are often very bad but it also seems like a very low stakes job so whatever um anyway this film has no major awards nominations um nor wins since no nominations and it is about a mountain man who wishes to live the life of a hermit becomes the unwilling object of a long vendetta by the crow tribe and proves to be a match for their warriors in single combat on the early frontier uh corbin heller this was your movie so why don't you tell us about it uh, just to jump back a bit, could you imagine if a film won without being nominated? The eruption that would occur. I guess I guess that is honorary awards, right? Like like he won an yeah, honorary Oscar. Was he nominated for it? I want a film to win Best Picture without being nominated. I want a write in campaign. Ooh. I want other to win. Actually, I don't know. So I, I opened it, which I never do unless it says like Academy Award or some shit. Um, and there was a nomination for Sidney Pollock at the Cannes Film Festival for Palme d'Or, which does feel pretty major. So maybe I should start opening these. Um, you know, Palme d'Or, you know, minor award in overarching film society, you know. At the Cannes Film Festival. Does anyone even know what that is? You mean the Canes? The, the Cannes? Yeah, those them fucking Frenchos. <laughs> So I actually, just as a total Those aside, I looked into French shows. I'm going to start calling <laughs> French people that. What's you up, French shows? <laughs> I looked into going to that one year. Just I, I was just I looked into what it takes to go to Sundance and what it takes to go to Cannes. Just I had no real intention of doing either, but I'm just curious. Um, and Sundance, you can like buy tickets to, and you know, like you, you, for some number of days to some number of theaters, some number of showings. Like there's ways of doing it. Cannes is interesting because you cannot. The only people who are allowed to attend the film festival are people whose films are at the film festival. Um, people who write about films. So, you know, like the uh, 
film editor or like movie critic at like the New York Times. And then the people who live in the city con. <laughs> That's it. Correct. It's a it's astonishing. It's like you it is very exclusive. You cannot just go. Um do you want to move? No. Uh, okay. Never mind. My French is a uh, Trey Mall. So, anyway. I also know how to say very bad. I do have an approximate knowledge of many things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, tell me about Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> Who? Who? Her? <laughs> Egg? Um, fuck, man. I That <laughs> lost me. Woo, baby. We are so far um, from how long it usually takes us to get into this shit. We're also... Yeah. Um... I'm trying to think how long ago I watched this movie because we've missed a couple episodes. Yeah, we missed a week um, in the middle there. I must have watched this like last Tuesday, last Wednesday. So it's been 10 days, 11 days since I've seen this. Um, so I'll do my best. It's a, it's a Frontiersman movie. It'll pump up your testosterone a little bit not in like a, an action you know thriller like the expendables kind of way just like man i want to go out and fucking chop down a tree i want to start a fire i want to have fucking hair on my chest um that was me projecting a little bit uh but at the end of the day i think it's you know a robert redford role that he really really knocks out of the park um i don't think it's the most uh, uh you know electrifying story i don't think it's the most you know compelling story in the world but i do think that um it does a really great job of of immersing you in this kind of environment immersing you in the landscape that is the west um you see just such a wide variety of locations and you know scenic views and just areas that he travels throughout throughout his uh, time in the west and i do think it's a really great job of showing hey like this is something that you could have gone out and done and you can live your life by this code and, and be a frontiersman without being some, you know, dark hat, wild west cowboy. Um, I enjoy the movie. It's one of those things where I've haven't seen it in years. This is my first time actually sitting and watching it through. Um, but it's got that, you know, 1960s cowboy movie. It's got that Robert Redford flair to it. Uh you know, it's not going to take home any major awards, uh, like we said, but it is definitely going to be something that you sit and enjoy watching on a Sunday afternoon, probably with your dad. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a very, it's very a dad movie. movie. Through. Oh, yeah. To to its core. Um, And it's weird because the first word, like the first descriptor that pops into my mind for this is it's like a Western romp. But. Also, to call this film a romp is like not true because like this guy's wife and kid die in very tragic fashion. I was um, really waiting for that to just be like, oh, they got out or like, oh, that's a fever dream or like, oh, it's like, no, like they all died. It's very somber. And there's really just like, oh, we're going to punch you right in the fucking teeth with it. Yeah. Um. So because the, so the movie moves pretty quick, like, you know. Robert Redford goes up into the wilderness and he meets um, God, we'll call him <laughs> uh, random old man. The, the guy that like teaches him how to live. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, the 
I'm in my mind that guy's God. Um, it, it, in, in some symbolic too, yeah. form. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, like, he's just like some old coot that hunts grizzly bears and teaches others how to survive. Like he's just having a ball. Um, but and from there, Robert Redford lives a whole life in like a matter of I don't know a couple. How long does this movie take place? A year, two? It's got to be like based off of the hair growth of the guy that he meets, the bald guy. It's got to oh, be like four that's years. That's a good point. That's a very good Maybe. point. I didn't consider that. Yeah. Like it's it's it grows what like a quarter inch a month, your hair, and he probably had like 12, 14 inch hair. So Corwin and I have a sports statistics podcast and Corwin can't remember the statistics for anything or anyone at any given time. And he just busted out the fact that the human hair grows a quarter of an inch a month out of absolutely fucking nowhere. Uh, Well, I was incorrect. Uh, The American Academy of Dermatology says that hair grows about half an inch per month on average. That's really fast. So probably two years. Maybe two and a half. Either way, this movie moves rather quickly and well um, for a film that takes place over such a course of time and where enough stuff actually happens. You okay? Believe it or not, Josh, you can speed up the passage of time in cinema. You don't know. Oh, no, no, no. I know. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. You know, they, they do a good job. But my, my point is the pacing of this is good. They, they cram a lot of shit in <laughs> and it doesn't that. feel rushed and it doesn't feel drawn out which i think works to the it, film's advantage because i think a it would be a worse movie if they spent too much time on the specific like grieving process of losing the wife and the makeshift kid um i think this film does a good job of just kind of like keeping just keeping the 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 pulse and the plot kind of moving along um around Robert Redford's journey of becoming the grizzled man that he eventually becomes. Um, And that's why it's like part of it's a romp in my mind because it goes through so much and it's kind of like the fun of the journey for like that first half. Um, And then the completion of the journey in the second half, you know, again, he kind of, you know, has to finish this, grizzled um process he's going through but also rop doesn't feel right because the murder you know the 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 lots of death that this movie has in it you know the murder <laughs> like a murderer i uh i watched john Mulaney last night so all right uh I know he's not dead, but that still threw me for for like half a second. Now, just his marriage, but yeah, yeah. R.I.P. in peace. Yeah, um, could help if you need a guess. It's it's. I'm not really because it, it. I would say this is a, like I enjoyed this movie. I like this movie. This was a good movie for me. I enjoyed watching it. It um, it exists. It feels very original if you watch it for the first time in 2021 and like you didn't have a childhood where your dad watched dad movies you know stereotypical dad movies with these kind of you know a lot of because the western still exists 
mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as big a part of the Hollywood machine today as it used to be. And right. I think if they made this movie today, while it would be very, very different than it, it what it is in this 1972 version, this might end up being something you'd see nominated for some awards because it does touch on a lot of very, you know, human, the whole movie is meant to show a very specific part of the human experience and feed upon some feelings that while you might not feel very regularly, still cross your mind. I'm very much so not a go out into the wilderness person, but this still touches some <laughs> your more, you know, like outdoors or animal instincts in some respects. Um, but the reason it doesn't have any of that type of shit is because in 72, I mean, John Wayne's still churning out like nine movies a year, you know, like that, that's where it's at. So it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of revisit it because it's not one of the like big time famous blockbuster, uh, like, you know, award winning Westerns, but it's still, it still holds up really well. It's, I don't know if I'd consider it like a, a top five Western because, you know, growing up watching dad movies with my dad, he's a huge Western fan. He loves Clint Eastwood. He loves John Wayne. He loves the classic. Corwin's dad and my dad, very similar in their cinematic right. tastes. Exactly. As I imagine many 50 to 60 year old men <laughs> do. Yeah. Um, but, Man, this is just one of those, like, I love Robert Redford so much. You know, my favorite Western is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I love those two together. I love Robert Redford in this. He's the, he's really the one that makes this movie. You know, if it it was any other person in this role, if this was John Wayne, if this was Clint Eastwood, if this was, you know, any other of the half dozen guys who are known for their Western films in this era, I don't think I would have cared nearly as much because you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, they don't really have that softness to them. They don't really right. have that, you know, je ne sais quoi, even though John I Wayne would have enjoyed killing the Native Americans too much. <laughs> right. You don't get that, you know, uh, what's the term for introspection afterwards. You don't get that regret. You don't get that, you know, emotional string that is just to the point of snapping after these actions occur that you get with Robert Redford. And and that's what I think makes this film. Um, man, it's, it's, it's really hard, like trying to draw back these kind of uh, connections after like 11 days and a lot going on in life in between. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched this, I think the same day as you. So yeah, we're going back a little bit. Um, but it's it's weirdly calming as a film. And obviously, we're not getting much into the plot. The plot's pretty quiet for the majority of it. It's a lot of Robert Redford learning the ropes of how to survive up there from the God character slash um, just kind of acclimating to life up there. Then he gets involved with the Crow tribe, um, has a wife, finds a kid eats that kid now um (laughs) um his wife and kid get killed while he's out helping some um god damn i wasn't see it's the well they're not union soldiers yet right no this this is like pre-civil war right 
Yeah, yeah this is a couple decades before then. So I guess I'll just say it's, soldiers. Yeah, it's just um, <laughs> American soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then he goes on a revenge thing, and then then he just kind of like moves on with his life after that. Um, as a mountain, like man. being continuously hunted by the crow. Right. 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 He he has a new life where he is a mountain man and also a fugitive, like uh, in some ways. Um, and that's really the the movie. There's not a lot of plot to really get into there. I think the way that they handle the Native American people in this is probably one of the better ways you'll see it out of these types of films. I'm not going to say it's perfect since there's still in a lot of ways, you know, the villain. But I, at the same time, you get significantly worse representation here. And Robert Redford's character shows some level of deference towards their rituals and beliefs when the um like, i keep wanting to say union soldiers they're just soldiers want to just march straight through the burial ground and robert efford's like you really fucking shouldn't like dog you don't believe all that shit do you well i might not but like they seriously do so like maybe you shouldn't just stop on the burial grounds like that's that's again like corwin said that's something you would get with robert redford and it wouldn't you wouldn't believe it from john wayne <laughs> No. And um, it wouldn't feel the same if it was like, you know, Clint Eastwood. And um, boy, I will say that is something I am very much not surprised to see in 19 or 1820s, you know, Western America with these Catholics, Catholic soldiers. Damn Protestants, wasps, uh, all of them. Um, but yeah, it is. It It is a. <laughs> I feel so, it, it's a good movie. I like this movie. I'm not sure I have anything profound to say about it. It's it's the definition of good, nothing exceptional, enjoyable movie. That's just this what is a, it is. This is a movie yeah. that was built to be on AMC movies on a Sunday. Oh my god, built for AMC. Built for it. This is like a a July. Even even like midwinter, I could absolutely see this midwinter, roaring fire kind of uh, approach. Uh, absolutely, I could yeah. see this. Uh, I could see my dad with a, not necessarily a cup of coffee, but just like a, fucking I don't know. I'm losing myself. Mid mid nap. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a nap movie. Oh yeah. Yeah okay. Oh yeah. Um. All right, well, this is yours. So why don't you give a why don't you start for a rating and review, and then we'll move right along. Uh, review, enjoyable movie. You see some really really nice Technicolor landscape shots. Um, Robert Redford is the Robert Redford you know and love. Everyone else in this movie is someone to make you enjoy Robert Redford more. Three and a half. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right there with you. I'm gonna give this a three and a half. This is the best version of this movie that there could be. It just happens to have a cap, but uh, this is a this is fun. Robert Redford's a great leading. Robert Redford, one of the very few I think great leading men as well as sidekicks. And so getting to see him pivoting from the uh, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, where he's more of the sidekick ish role there, and then taking it to this where he is very much so chewing up the scenery here. Um, literally <laughs> yeah uh i uh, you gotta you gotta love robert redford so i'm all about it this is a three and a half for me fun movie all Sweet. right let's take it on down then to to new york city uh 
I think. Uh, yeah, it has to be. Um, and let's talk about 1960s The Apartment, which was directed by Billy Wilder and written by I.A.L. Diamond, um, which is one hell of a name, but a frequent collaborator of Billy Wilder. He also co-wrote Some Like It Hot and The Fortune Cookie. Um, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. I like uh, that I know. It's great. Uh it's this film stars Jack Lemon, our boy, um, Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray. Um, this film had an estimated budget of $3 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $18.7 million or $24.6 million. I have conflicting figures. Either way, financial success. Um, do we have a tagline for this bitch? Yes, this is not a good tagline. I'm warning you right now. It's very long. Movie-wise, there has never been anything like The Apartment, love-wise, laugh-wise, or otherwise. Fuck you. Yeah, that's absolutely terrible. That gets a fuck you from me. It's absolutely terrible. Wow. Awful, awful, awful. But anyway, um, this film won five Oscars on the back of uh, ten nominations, this film won for Best Picture for Billy Wilder, Best Director for Billy Wilder, Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay written directly for the screen for Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond. It won for Best Art Direction, Set Direction, Black and White, again, back when this category was split up, for Alexander Trauner and Edward G. Boyle, and it won for Best Film Editing for Daniel Mandel. Uh, it was nominated additionally for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Jack Lemon, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Shirley MacLaine, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jack Crushin, Best Cinematography Black and White, back when this award was split into two categories, for Joseph Lachelle, and Best Sound for Gordon Sawyer. Um, this was my pick for this week, so I will start. Uh, this is one of my favorite classic romance films, I guess you'd, you'd say. Um, it it feels grandiose for a romance film, but also very real in a lot of points. Um, obviously, as the film progresses, the situation gets uh, a lot larger and disconnects a little bit more from kind of the reality. You know, Jack Lemmon's character gets promoted very high, very fast. Um, but the uh, the kind of the character of Jack Lemmon that you're introduced to, I think, is a very relatable character. A guy who works a desk job. It it's fine. He likes it. Company doesn't seem to care as much. He's overworked and doesn't want to say no because he needs his job. I knew that job. Oh boy. Now I know Corbin knows that job. We yes, all I know do. that job. Um, and you know, he loves this girl, doesn't love him back, such on and so forth. Um, the idea of the apartment as a fuck pad <laughs> where men cheat on the, the, the higher ups of the, at the office cheat on their wives is such a perfect setup because it takes the concept of this guy who likes his job, job doesn't give a shit about him and mm -hmm. works hard and needs, and he can't, he's meek. He can't say no. And you know, there's some part of him that doesn't want to say no, even though he's not super thrilled with the situation. Again, this is, I think, a trait that a lot of people will see some of themselves in. And it takes that guy and says, let's really just go full fuck you with it. 
and get to the point where these people are now telling him, get the fuck out of your apartment. I have to cheat on my fucking wife here tonight. And you're just going to have to fucking deal with that. And he does. You're going to have to go stand in the street. Yeah, while I get laid in your apartment. For free. Yeah, that's the other wild part. Not in exchange for better pay, not in exchange for preferential treatment come like review time. For seemingly literally nothing. For the quote-unquote <laughs> promise that will help you get a promotion down the road. Which they like didn't even want to give him when it came time to do yeah. that. But yeah. Um, and, you know, treating that as the workaround for what is otherwise at the outset a pretty normal seeming love story really adds this dimension to it. Because, you know, it, it, <laughs> it leads to a lot of comedy with the keys and a lot of like lightheartedness with the logistics of it. But also there's this deep sense of dread or tugging at the negative sides of love or, or the parts of romance that are horrible, which is infidelity um, and having to grapple with someone's difficult background, Shirley MacLaine's character, as well as Jack Lemon trying to figure out who he is, what he wants and, and, and where he wants to be with it all. It, 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 it is such a stupid concept that plays itself so well in the parameters of this world. Um, I love it. I am interested in hearing your thoughts, Mr. Heller. I was not sure what I was expecting. Went into this completely blind. Didn't even, you know, look up who was in the film. Was very uh, pleasantly surprised to see Jack Lemmon. I'm a big Jack Lemmon fan. Um, and immediately the premise of the film is almost made clear. Um, I will say you understand kind of what's going on uh, within the first like 15 minutes or so. You never really get the why until a little bit later. And when you do, it's like, oh, this guy's just a wet paper towel. Okay, let's see how this grows. And it's just, you know, I didn't really have high expectations. Um, but at the end of the day, I found myself incredibly uh, entertained, incredibly drawn in, uh, just nonstop, just like, I want to see where this goes. I want to see what happens. I want to, you know, see how this plays out because it's, you know, through and through just a very interesting story. It doesn't do anything, you know, grand. It doesn't do anything truly special. It's just, I want to see how this character develops more than anything. I want to see how this relationship develops more than anything. And they do a really great job of just exploring that and just seeing how everything, um, you know, works out, just how everything unfolds. And it's, I enjoyed it. it it's like, for because for me, that's what will make a romance movie or a movie that is about love as the topic worth the time investment. Like I, I recently rewatched 500 Days of Summer for the first time since college. Um, I love that movie. And that movie does a really great job of say, taking here is a love story that is again, highly relatable, met a girl at the office, really into her, wanted to work out and presents it to you in a different way and has the dimensions of the relationship be familiar enough that you understand emotionally what's transpiring, but 
isn't quite the full norm. There's something else to be gleaned from it, and it is being presented in a in a in a new and original way. And that is what's going to bring because love, romance as an idea, is universal. Whether we are in relationships or not, you can look at a thing, you can look at, at, at a love story and understand what's happening in it. We have feelings most of the time, most of us, and we can understand at some degree what is going on. It's very universal. There's very few things that can be like that where they can be instantly recognizable. And what this film does, again, that just does such a good job of is it takes that familiar feeling and doesn't play lowest common denominator with it, at least in such an obvious way. This is a bit of a, a tangent. Um, what is your favorite romance movie? Um, it's probably this. Uh, it's why I picked it. Hmm, okay. It's probably this. I've seen this a bunch of times. So, yeah, I'll land on it here. Touche. I'm I'm a big softie. I almost always cry at the end of this movie. I've seen it a bunch of times. Really? Okay. Yeah. This one usually gets me. I didn't cry at this. You know, there are very few romance movies that do. I'm more of a emotional trauma kind of crier, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this, I very much enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's uh, a top five romance movie for me, um, but more positive than negative. How about that? What's your What's your number one there? uh call me by your name oh it's so good that's honestly like i was sitting here i immediately thought of that question and i started thinking about call me by your name i know like my answer is like oh what's your favorite movie you know as a movie guy has always been apocalypse now it's it's been that for you know since high school call me by your name is is really close to putting that putting that number one spot you know in jeopardy like I really do love that movie irrationally. Like I just I want to live that movie. I fucking love it so much. I I, I agree. I was so taken away by that. But anyway, looping back onto this. Um because like Shirley McLean's character. Let, 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 let's deviate a little bit okay. away from Jack Lemon. Sure is also in such a what feels like normal but dramatic due to the setup kind of situation i it, it's because you know we get introduced to the concept of these guys who go and cheat on their wives and it's like oh that sucks um for their wives and these guys are bad and man it must really suck as a, a married woman to have your husband cheating on you and it's like, yeah, at least that's when I, the first time I ever watched this movie. That was my first reaction to it. And without much consideration for the emotional, I guess, response or, or reckoning um, that the women that are the mistresses also go through to a certain extent. And so seeing Shirley McLean's character being in a relationship that she doesn't want to be in, or at least that she has regrets about, Okay, got that too. But in as one of these mistresses and seeing the toll it's taking on her, but how she leans on this relationship as a light form of 
um, either escapism for a life that she's not satisfied with, uh, to make herself feel better about herself, to, to get something out of, even though she knows the negatives outweigh the positives. Um, in direct contrast to the idea that just these guys' wives are the only women in this situation that matters is a very interesting viewpoint for this film to take. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that she's also not demonized for that. She obviously is the bad person to, um, oh God, I forget the main bosses, Fred McMurray. I forgot his character's name. Um, His wife, obviously Shirley MacLaine's the bad guy there in the eyes of Mrs. McMurray. Um, Sheldrake, right, Mrs. Sheldrake. Um, but I can't not think of Leonard Kenny when you say McMurray, and it's, <laughs> that name is forever ruined for me. McMurray, how are you doing now? McMurray's a piece of shit. <laughs> McMurray's a piece of shit. Anyway, um, fuck yeah, I didn't even think about it. Damn it. <laughs> um, oh, you're right. Damn it. Anyway, 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 anyway. <laughs> um, you know, like Jack Lemon doesn't demonize Shirley MacLaine for that. You know, he obviously feels some level of rejection because she's literally rejecting him. And and to, to see that she is so involved with somebody that he at one point in the film looked up to at um, relies upon for advancement in his career, something that he takes personal interest in, in addition to professional interest in all that weighs on him, but he doesn't, there's no spite towards the sexuality of Shirley MacLaine, which is again, also a very advanced take for a film that was released in 1960. I definitely did get that feeling of this being a very modern film or at least feeling and doesn't seem out of place in a modern setting. Um, I mean, this is something where, you know, you could shoot this like you would, you know, Mad Men with that same kind of cinematic, that same visual style and it wouldn't feel an outside of place. You could shoot this taking place in, you know, 1990, you could shoot this taking place in 2020 and it w- none of it would feel out of place because it's that same cultural stigma, that same cultural phenomena that still occur, that still takes place that, you know, we can still relate to at a, at a you know, basic level because, you know, no matter how far we've come since uh, 1960, guys still cheat on their wives. Yeah. I imagine it's not nearly as, you know, forward as it was back in that day. Um, I imagine it's, you know, society as a whole frowns upon it more or it's much less accepted. I should say that's probably the best way to put it. Um, But by all means, I, I really think this is something that you could, this is a story you could tell for the next, you know, 50, 100, 200 years. And you're not really losing much. And I, th- I think that's part of the Billy Wilder appeal. What makes him such a great writer is he d- manages to do that in a lot of his films. You know, even to go to, to some like it hot, there is there is a, a, a weird level of acceptance of the cross-dressing for a film that takes place in 1959. Obviously, it is still there as the butt of the joke, the ultimate, you know, joke of it but there is at a lot of various points a lot of characters who could take that as being 
even beyond the humor that they treat it with and they don't. And I think that's part of the human nature of Billy Wilder leaning upon people's better intentions or people's more human side, the the non-negative parts of humanity in addition to some of these like smaller or at least lesser recognized parts of living. Again, the this idea of the the mistress having um, autonomy and not just being a placeholder pair of tits that is the distractor of the man. You know, it's an act. She she she's an actual person with feeling. Who da thunk it? <laughs> uh, I I did not thunk it. It's also a scathing indictment of corporate America. <laughs> Which, by all means, I don't think you or I are going to question or, you know, scoff our nose at. We welcome it. Oh, absolutely. And, and it, corporate America. Very easily. And it might not quite seem like it at the outset because you get so wrapped up in the, um, you know, the relationship part of it. But it is, oh my God, it is really quite a scathing indictment of corporate America where no one, like, like, the scene where Jack Lemon gets promoted and is like packing up his like little desk to go to an office. And the guy next to him is like, I've worked here longer than you. And Jack Lemon's basically is like, go fuck yourself, bitch. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. That shouldn't be how it happens necessarily. No. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. I really don't love corporate America. Uh, if anyone here wants to just, you know, hire me away, don't, uh, I won't, uh, I won't turn you away. No. Um, and that's a funny bit then about the, uh, the hat. Cause the, the bowler hat that Jack Lemon buys is, um, he says it's $15 in the movie. You know how much that would be in 2020 dollars? How much? $130. Wow. Right. That's an expensive fucking hat. I don't know how much hats cost. Uh, boy, that sounds expensive. It's like four Padres hats. <laughs> oh, when you put it that way, fuck that hat, man. Wait, yeah. so he makes, so hold on. Uh, do you have like an inflation calculator up? Is that what you're rocking with? Yes. All right. He makes, he makes 90, like $95 a week. Okay. How much, how much is that? If you extrapolate that out for like 52 weeks a year, because I right. imagine he is not the kind of guy to take vacations. All right. So we're saying 92, right? 92. Sure. Okay. So that's, that's $4,784 um, per year. This film takes place in 1960 and we're saying 4784 Calculate that is uh forty three thousand dollars a year. That's pretty How, average. However, there's, I would say that it's probably very likely that there would have been more exponential increases in income because cost of housing in New York at that time is nowhere near what it is today. Uh, because his apartment was eighty five dollars a week a month. Right. And yeah, no, no. Wait, um, you're, telling, you're telling me apartments don't cost eighty dollars a month now? 
Uh, that is the equivalent of an apartment costing $766 a month. And um, that apartment is not going for $700 a month. No, in no. Any world, in anywhere in New York City. Like, I have a friend who has a great deal on her apartment, an amazing deal on her, on her apartment on East 86th Street. Um, nice it's a one bedroom that is probably a third of the size of the apartment in this movie, if not smaller, probably smaller. Um, still a decent apartment for one person, but you know, small. It's a, it's $1,200 a month. It just got raised recently. It was probably like $1,150, but still. Let's just call it 12, $1,200 a month. That's a steal. That's a steal. This apartment is, yeah, this apartment would be three grand easy. I live in a two-story house in Allentown, PA that I share with three other people and I pay $375 a month. Eat dick. I do just about every night. Hate it. No, I don't mind. Nah, I pay much more than that <laughs> for my apartment in North Jersey, but oh well. Yeah, Jersey, baby. We got the pizza and the Italiano. I will say um, I would probably pay more if it meant having better pizza around here. We got good food here, my friend. Very good I food. Not. I do not. But anyway. Uh, yeah, you know, the the plot itself kind of moves as basically as what we described gets messier and messier, you know, the situation with uh, everybody at Jack Lemon's office coming to fuck in his apartment um, creates more stress. The relationship that Jack Lemon's trying to form with Shirley MacLaine gets strained as he finds out more about her situation and as she has more reckoning with um, Mr. Sheldrake, that is the progression, which, ultimately resolves with Shirley MacLaine um, attempting suicide in Jack Lemmon's apartment um, and him like nursing her back to health, but doing so secretly so that it wouldn't be found out by uh, Shirley MacLaine's family and um, in such a way to keep her distance from uh, Mr. Sheldrake to avoid confrontation with his family, with his family, his wife and kids. Um, and then that time ultimately proves to be the, um, I guess, final nudge that Shirley MacLaine needs to accept Jack Lemon as the uh, the ultimate, the, the nice guy who wins out at the end. Um, so, what make you of the kind of conclusion? Because it, it it gets rather heavy there in that in the the beginning of the third act there, leading to our ending. Um. It definitely does, and it's it's not something that you kind of expect going into it. Uh, I will say I do, you know, I do really enjoy the development of both of these characters, kind of going through that process and and reconciling, you know, their actions and and what they've done to kind of reach this point in their lives. So when we get to the ending, and both of these characters seem to come to that realization that hey, like we both hate our lives, we hate the way that you know we let other people treat us let's find happiness together let's let's go about life the right way with you know someone that makes us happy that's honestly a great ending i almost you know watching it in real time was like oh i could have used a sad ending oh that would have gone against cliche oh this that but like no like this is a fantastic ending this is something that's 
very fitting for both of these characters and really fitting for both of their developments and is the kind of final decision to both fit who they are and who they become but also had a nice you know fuck you like hey we're just we don't have any set plans you know i didn't keep this high paying job i you know didn't swoop her up off her feet and run off to get married it's like no we're just gonna go enjoy life and see where it takes us and say hey let's see what happens let's just be happy and see where that settles us and i really appreciated that yeah i mean it it's it's just about as severe and dramatic as it can be while maintaining its sense of reality and also shows true intention, which is really, I, I, I guess, the, the point of it at its core is to, you know, here is the penultimate thing that could happen. Um, and here's what it says about the people that have the, the two sides of the position that Shirley MacLaine is in the, the Mr. Sheldrake side. And I can't keep saying Jack Lemon. What's his, what's his fucking character's name? CC Baxter. Uh, Baxter. CC Baxter. Yeah. Um, and Sheldrake is like, I got to make sure my wife doesn't find out about this um, because she will divorce me and take my money um, is not necessarily what he says, but what oh. I imagine he's thinking. Oh yeah. Um, or the uh, side of, cc baxter who takes a punch to the noggin from uh from um uh shirley mcclain's uh brother and uh stays to like nurse her back to health you know um yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know and, and you know with with a lot of romance movies you get something big like this you know if you ever seen like an affair to remember um deborah kerr like can't walk anymore and that's why she misses the date with Cary Grant at the top of the Empire State Building and it's a big dramatic moment um but it's like it's like very like I know that the pills is is a bigger step but I believe it it felt less melodramatic here and I think that's something to nail with the whole romance side of things is that it can very quickly devolve into melodrama because when Cary Grant comes to visit Deborah Kerr and is like, why didn't you come see me at the top of the Empire State Building? Like, it's a good moment, but like you can, it, it really, it's there to serve the purpose of the scene where they reconcile. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the point of the film in with, with the pills with Shirley MacLaine that I think really obviously you i think one can surmise that she's going to recover from it but the the fallout and recovery thereafter you know it's not just the shock value of the moment and then the immediate reconciliation it is the what are the next steps and what do we do from here of it that i think makes it feel less melodrama and more dramatic reality you know what i mean mm-hmm um i guess my only follow-up question to that you know and i'll to keep this tone of conversation is um do you think it's hilarious that the neighbors think this guy baxter is just a fucking sleazebag the entire time fucking hilarious <laughs> oh my god dude the neighbors are one of the best parts of this whole movie he's at it again oh my god two women another one what <laughs> 
I could just imagine them like physically holding each other in bed, just like controlling themselves with the shaking going on in all hours of the night. Just like this fucking monster needs to be stopped. And the, the, the guy was like, we need to study you after. Yeah, <laughs> I think you should come by the hospital. We got to investigate your fucking dick, bro. I also like how like he moves out at the end and he's like, oh, like, is are we going to see you again? He's like, oh, don't worry. My body will be donated. It's like. If I didn't know any better, I'd consider this a cry for help. Like, uh, should we call someone? Like, we just had a, a woman, you know, quote unquote, try to kill herself, like in your house. And uh, the fact that they just kind of brushed off, it's like, okay, see you later. It's like, <laughs> uh, did they care that much? Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's a woman in a man's apartment. So whatever he wants to do is fine with us. <laughs> And I love, that I love that like his whole premise of like that they know is like oh this guy is just like fucking every night of the week multiple times a day multiple women a day and the dude doesn't get laid once throughout the entire movie oh my god yeah he doesn't yeah <laughs> he comes kind of close but no he gets close yeah, yeah. That's, he picks up the hussy at the, at oh the bar my god. yeah oh so good um, I'm not sure I have anything else for this. Do you have anything else before we wrap no, this one up? No. All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I strongly recommend this film. I think it is a, well, first of all, just a really, really good movie. And it's a great movie to watch. Um, maybe not on like a first date cause it gets kind of heavy in there, but if you're looking for something romantic or if you're looking for something just of, of good quality. This is a great fucking movie. Jack Lemon brings so much. Like Robert Redford was the right type of touch for Jeremiah Johnson while still having grit. And if you stripped away all the grit and just left that little bit of like meekness and 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 feel, that's Jack. Like Jack Lemon needed to be subordinately meek. <laughs> for this Correct. movie yep. and he does so with so much charm mm -hmm. he is he is like the 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 greatest common denominator in the lowest common denominator i guess in the best way in terms of niceness and affability um <laughs> he does such a great job carrying this movie as just like a cheery kind dude um now it's it's worth it for for him on his own, and then plus there's another just a just a great ensemble cast, and it's Billy Wilder, so the writing's phenomenal. Um, I give I give I'm, I give this a five out of five, man. This is one of my wow. favorite movies. This uh, I will you know be very blunt about it. I think this is a a great movie and something I really enjoyed. I kind of would put this in more of the vein of um, what we saw with Jeremiah Johnson, where I think this is a great casual watch. Um, I didn't quite hit that same connection, hit that same chord with, uh, you know, emotional connection, you know, personally with it. Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half, but by all means, I think this is a tremendous film to watch and easily something where if I were to rewatch it, reconnect with it, you know, connect with the characters, I could move it up. But uh, I think it, it fits very good, very well in that vein with uh, Jeremiah Johnson of just easy, casual watch right on my friend and that's it for the two movies we had picked for this week corwin heller do you have picked out your film for next week i do 
part of me just wants to keep picking Jackie Chan movies because uh, that's what <laughs> dude. I, I thought about it after you picked. Uh, uh, it's just like I want to just keep watching them. Um, but I'm gonna go with um a Tom Cruise film, Oblivion. Oh, I don't know what year it came out? Didn't look it up, but yeah. Okay. Kind of a one of those that I watched when it came out and really enjoyed it. And it just didn't kind of get that same critical reception I, I kind of thought it was deserving of. I think it's one that's honestly underrated. And um, by all means, I think it's one of his better recent action films. Um, so I think it's going to be an easy watch and uh, one that we could actually uh, enjoy breaking down. Right on. I'm about it. I'm actually not sure if I've seen this. This mm. isn't the one that was... He's wearing white leather the entire time. This wasn't the one where it was like, um, like die again tomorrow or something like that. No, they like changed not, the title um, a bunch of times. It was live, die, repeat. And then they changed it to the edge of tomorrow. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was edge of tomorrow. And then they changed it to live, die, repeat. Um, no, it's, it's currently edge of tomorrow. Okay. 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 Right, then, yeah, I think I might have missed this movie. So this will be a first time watch for me. Also, if you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, absolutely watch that movie. It's fucking phenomenal. very good movie. Very, very good movie. Edge um, of Tomorrow marketed as live, die, repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, or simply live, die, repeat. So it was marketed as live, die, repeat, but the name of the movie is Edge of Tomorrow. That is big, dumb, dumb. It's, it is. The name of the movie is All You Need Is Kill. Or a name of the book it was based on. So many different names. I kind of want to find the tagline just to see what it is. If it's anything but live, die, repeat. But whatever. Uh, make, make, make your pick. Yeah. Um, Cor and I were talking before we got on that I am reading Faulkner. So I'm in a southern gothic mm. mode right now. So I am going to pick the one-off directorial picture from Charles Lofton The Night of the Hunter from 1955 I have not heard of it oh my god you are in for a treat my friend you have said that many times before I no longer believe you Oftentimes, though I, I will say when I say I think you're going to like a movie you usually do end up liking it that is fair that is very fair and I genuinely think you are going to very much so enjoy this I am now looking forward to it. Um, before we go, I would like to say the tagline for Edge of Tomorrow is live, die, repeat. Okay, there you yeah. go. All makes sense with the world. All right, so then next week's movies are 2013's Oblivion and uh, 1955's The Night of the Hunter. So check them out before we record. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Hell. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. We mostly tweet about sports, but check it out anyway. Uh, if you would like to send us emails, movie ideas, recommendations, critiques of our critiques, you can do so at Juicing thebigscreen at gmail.com and until next Tuesday y'all have a good one bye bye